Good morning, church. It is good to see you this morning. Did somebody think I had bad breath this morning? Somebody left this on my table. In case you forgot your toothbrush, here it is. Amen. All right. It's good to see you. Amen. We are in a, a new series about our values here at Real Life, what we hold dear, what we uh, just uh, are all about, and we're going to do that for the next four to five weeks right before Easter because uh, we got a lot of new families and we want to clue everybody in on where we're going, what we're doing, and what we're excited about. And last week we started on the very first one, and that is why evangelize, all right? How many enjoyed the message last week? Raise your hand, all right? So why evangelize, all right? We talked about evangelism. Now evangelizing is basically the idea of presenting the gospel, all right? Setting someone down or walking with somebody and just explaining to them what it means to be saved. Your specific story. So we have to ask the question, why? Why? Why do we, why, why evangelize? Why, why step out of our comfort zone? For people, sometimes we don't even like. You hear what I mean? Our neighbors, our family members. Why, why should we care? We're saved. How many are saved here this morning? All right, we're saved. Why should we, I mean, we're making money, we're raising our family, we're doing all we're supposed to do. All right, here we go. We're raising our family. Everybody notice this? They were making fun of me this morning, so I'm trying to not to do that any longer. How many ever notice I do that? All right, I will stop because I want you focusing on the, on the message, all right? Don't fall off, okay. So it's like, why should we care about our neighbor? Why should we care about our family? I mean, we're raising our family. We're busy people. Why should we care whether somebody else is saved and whether they spend eternity in heaven or hell? Isn't that their decision? Isn't that a personal call on their own? Especially when you try to talk to people. And they're argumentative. They argue with, they fuss with you. And so sometimes, you know, but of course, when we heard the gospel, well, we were real receptive, right? We were angels, all right? Somebody came to us, oh, yeah, I need to be saved. Let's, I mean, first, it took me several times before I trusted Christ. So we're going to answer that question we did last week. We're going to kind of recap and then get into our last three points. Our first three points was last week. We'll cover those again, and then we'll get into the last three, all right? So why evangelize? Number one. The heart of God, okay? We looked at, at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Now listen to this. Long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So the heart of God is, he doesn't want anyone to die and spend eternity in hell. Okay, which, which then brought us to the question, do we really believe that there is a hell? Do we really believe that people suffer there? Okay, we kind of went through the scripture. We're not going to do that. Just recap, it's God's heart. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, really. If God's heart is for people to be saved, shouldn't it be our heart as well? I mean, if he cared enough to send his only son so that 
that his son would pay for the sins of the world so the world wouldn't have to pay for it. I mean, if he cares that much, shouldn't we care enough? I mean, if we love him that much, shouldn't we care enough to go next door, invite people to church, invite people to small group, invite people to Bible study, and sometimes invite people to Christ? All right, so the first thought, it's the heart of God. Why evangelize the heart of God? Secondly, we talked about the obligation, all right? We have trusted Christ. We're, on, we're safe on the shore. We know our future. When we die, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Instantaneous. That's what the Bible says. We're, we're on dry ground. And the idea, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm a debtor. I'm obligated to those that don't know Christ, to the educated and to the uneducated. I'm obligated. The idea is a man is drowning and you have the flotation device to save their lives. At that very moment, you are obligated to throw out the lifeline. Can I hear an amen? I mean, it's, you're, I mean you wouldn't just stand there. It'd be, it'd be morally wrong for you to stand there as they're going under for the third time. <laughs> I mean, that's the thought. Okay, so Paul says, I'm saved I understand the gospel, and these people all around me don't understand it. And even though I'm persecuted for giving it, I still feel obligated to give it so that they can eventually understand and be saved. That's what Paul was saying, all right? So, so then we went into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where the Bible says, uh, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, but... We went to 2 Corinthians 5 and kind of went through the whole back, uh, part of chapter 5 where Scripture specifically states that we are ambassadors. All right, We are ambassadors. Those of us who have trusted Christ are ambassadors for Him. And that we are not just ambassadors. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So, so every one of us that is saved, He says, I have given you that are saved this ministry. This ministry is to take somebody that's not saved and help reconcile them to God. All right? He, he, if anybody be in Christ, he's a new creature. So that's the context of who he's talking about. And then he goes to verse 1 of chapter 6. All right? Everybody go there. Because I really want to stress this verse. So it's in the context of chapter 5. He says, as God's partners, this is Paul talking to the church, the Corinthian church, talking to us, as God's partners, Paul's talking, he says, we beg you, we beg you not to, not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness, all right? So he's talking about salvation, and then he's talking about, not that God just give you salvation, God gave you this wonderful ministry. It's a new purpose in life. The ministry of reconciliation. It's a brand new purpose you have. Now that you're saved, God saved you and he placed you in the ministry of helping other people to be reconciled to God. That's the whole context. And this is what Paul's begging us. I plead with you. I beg you. Notice what it says. And then to ignore it. In other words, don't accept this wonderful kindness 
of salvation and ministry and then ignore it. He begs us not to ignore it. In other words, when you receive Christ your Savior, it didn't stop there. A lot of people think, uh, well, I'm saved now. I finally arrived. Now all I have to do is grow in the Lord. And that's the direction they go. Forgetting over here that they are brought into the kingdom for the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, this is the first thing we do. We, we dump people on and say, now this is how you grow in the Lord and you get them to grow. And that's the time. Listen, when you first get saved, that's where the excitement is. That's the time to go out and share what happened to you. Because you have, this, you're, 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 you have no, no knowledge, but man, you have all this zeal. How many were zealous when you first got saved? I mean, you were on fire. Didn't know the Bible, but man, were you excited. I, went, I was telling everybody. Just tell them what happened because I didn't know much scripture. I was just telling them that I trusted Christ and my life has been transformed. Okay, so Paul is begging us not to accept this gift and then just ignore it. You have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Then the third thing we talked about is this wonderful grace. Okay, the grace of God. In other words, you were saved and it was completely free. Jesus Christ paid your sin debt. You were a sinner bound for hell, and you had this heavy weight over you, and Jesus came along, and he paid that sin debt in full. All you had to do was receive what he did on the cross as your payment for sin. That's it. It's free. Salvation is free. And since you accepted this free gift, freely give. Just give it out. So why evangelize the heart of God? Okay? The obligation, and that was free to you, didn't cost you anything. Give that free gift out. Cost, no one has to pay. Now, a lot of people teach that you have to work for salvation. You've got to do this or you've got to do that, depending on the dom- denomination. They decide what you have to do in order to be saved. That's what a lot of denominations do. They, they add these works. But Scripture tells us, Plainly, for by grace are you saved. That word grace means unmerited favor. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. Listen to what it says. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. All right, so it's free. All right, so let's get into the new, the new stuff this morning. All right, number four. Why should we evangelize the harvest and the labors? Look with me at Luke chapter 10. Let's go to Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. These were his instructions to them. He's talking to his disciples. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, notice this is not Tim Fleener's interpretation. I just simply said that the Bible says the harvest is great. What does that mean? The people. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest that he will charge of the harvest Ask him to send more workers into the field. The context is the world is the field. There's a lot of people ready to be harvested, but there's so few laborers. Why evangelize? Why share the gospel? Because hardly anybody's doing it. Hardly anybody's talking about the Lord. Us believers who have this salvation, we are so busy in life reaching for the American dream. Can I hear an amen? That's what we're doing. We have bought into the world, and we're, we're trying to go after this American dream. And, and, and because we are 
we've got character and we're good people. Man, we, we climb to the top fast because, I mean, there's not a lot of people in this world today that have character. But believers have character, so they literally rise to the top. Fantastic stuff. But we can't let that be our goal in life. Rather this and what we're talking about. So, so Jesus himself says, the harvest. So the idea is, There are people out there right now ready to be saved. They just need, somebody's already planted a seed, somebody's already watered, and they need someone to come and share their experience with them. Let's just use me, okay, example. I was debating on whether to use this, but I'm going to. When I was 15, Went through a lot of stuff in my home, so I went out to the, the Boy Scout camp. Uh, I'd been up all night fighting with my stepdad and my mom and all this craziness. So I was done. I mean, I was done. How many ever been done? Raise your hand. You're, you were done. So I, I'm out there. I mean, just a kid, 14, 50, can't remember. And I'm at this Boy Scout camp, and I'm bawling, but I'm screaming to the top of my lungs. God, if you are real. Show me, I am done with this life. I want to be out of here. If this is what life is, I want no part of it. It's just been horrible. And I'm screaming and I'm crying. And that's when I started going to churches. I kid you not. And you've heard the story. I went to church after church. I walked to all these churches around our school, around our home. Just whenever we walked, there was a church I found at the time and I went. And I went forward every single time forward. And I remember people putting hands on me and they were speaking jabberish. Nothing happened here. I'm not sure what they were saying, but nothing happened here. I went to other ones and they prayed sincerely over me. Nothing happened here. I went to the thief in the night. Most of you have never even heard of that. Great, great movie. But I went forward. No one talked to me. All right. I was ready. Three years later, three to four years later, I go to Indianapolis, move back to Indianapolis. Within just a short period of time, all these people started witnessing to me. I mean, scores of people. I told you about the parking lot, those guys jumping out. I went to Judy, first date. She witnessed to me. She took me home to her dad, went to the preacher. Then, then I got a new job. The guy was witness, The guy witnessed to me before he hired me. He went to the Old Testament, talking all this stuff. I never heard this stuff before. He's going through the old Genesis. I like, what are you talking about? I don't know. But come to find out, all of them went to the same church. Indianapolis Baptist Temple. They taught their people how to witness. So I thought, okay, God wants me to go back to Bloomington, Indiana, and start a church and have an outreach because there's so many people. Because I'm three years, I was ready to be saved. Somebody, nothing happened, went to Indianapolis. Boom! I go back to Bloomington. God wasn't in it because there are several brand new churches there. So then he sent me to the to the backside of the desert for 40 years, 30 years, and that's Nebraska, all right? But the point, all of that to say one thing. I was ready, but no one shared the gospel. Those were the, when you talk about scars, those were the times of the scars, the deep scars of my life. People are ready. We just have to be bold enough and and don't worry about our self-image and and worry if they're going to reject us. They're going to reject you. The majority of them are going to reject you. It's, it's okay. 
That's part of the process. Very few people say, okay, I want it. No, you got to break through the wall because there's a lot of pride there. They're ready, but you have to break that ground a little bit and put some water on. I mean, don't, don't be fearful. That's what keeps us because we're afraid we're going to say the wrong things. All you have to do is tell them your story. You've got a great story. You look in the Bible, guess what the Bible's about? Individuals with great stories. Your story is just as good as Moses, Noah, Paul, because it's your particular story. And it's powerful. It's all about God in your life. Noah, Moses, all of them, we're just normal people. It was God in them. This is their story, but you have this fantastic story. Tell it. Don't be bashful. The harvest. Look at this slide about the American churches. Now, you want to put that up there for us? Okay, look at this. Now, this is 1990. Okay, so we, in, back in 1990, this is kind of Southern Baptist statistics. I think, I think there's, there's like two different kind, there are two different statistics out there, but this is the lower one. Okay, I think the other one says about 30%, 35%, and then on down. But notice this, in 1990, 20% of Americans were actually going to church. You slide down to 2004, you have 17. Why, why is it only 17% of our nation going to church? Because 98% of our people are not witnessing, not trying to bring people into the kingdom. If this, if this is true, the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few, and we're going down. Now notice this over here. Only 6% during this time of our churches are growing. Only 6%. And the churches are growing are the evangelistic churches. The ones that are actually going out there and reaching the lost for Christ. This is this to me, and, and the great thing about this, especially Southern Baptists, is they've been starting a lot of churches, Southern Baptists, Independent Baptists, and Evangelical churches. Today we have about 17% in 2018. So we haven't gone down much, if any. We're straight line. And the reason is, yeah, there's still 4,000 churches every year closing their doors, but we're starting 4,000 churches every year. The difference is the population. We have to keep continually start more and more and more. All right? So we're at least actually doing a halfway decent job when it comes to that. Okay? Number five, the greatest commandment or the great commandment. Look at, at Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Okay, so why evangelize? This is important. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and great commandment. I, I specifically think this is, this is a, a view of spirituality. What we've done over the years is we've, as soon as somebody gets saved, we take them through this discipleship program. And the discipleship program is all about knowledge. Take them through eternal security. Take them through what the Bible means. Take them about what prayer means, what the Holy Spirit. And we go through these, which is vital. And then when they get through all the, 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 they're done with the material, we say, well, they're mature. Because they know what we determined was the right amount of stuff to know, and now they're mature. But a lot of times they come out of there just as ungodly as when they first got saved. 
because they have all this knowledge and they're not putting it into practice. Knowledge puffs up. I believe this right here is giving us a view of what spirituality is. When you love the Lord, you're all your God. That's maturity. You love him with your heart, your soul, because this, on this hangs all the commands. I want to, see, I want to serve God because I love him, not because I have to. Not because all these verses tell me, because I love him. I want to give up my life for him because I love him. I want to do what he wants me to do because I love him. I appreciate it. I have this relationship with him. And then notice what the second one says. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, there's been a lot of years in the ministry. A lot of people will write those checks. Now, don't get me wrong. We're going to preach on generosity in three weeks, all right? Make sure you're here. Now you know what I'm going to preach about, all right? I know people that write checks all the time, but man, they hate their neighbor. I, I, <laughs> I kid you know, One of the biggest tithers in our last church hated his neighbor. I mean, detested his neighbor. You know why? His neighbors used his kid's swing set and they broke the teeter-titer. And so he went out there, and all of a sudden, they're in this big argument over his kids not behaving. Duh, a lost person's kids not behaving. I don't understand it. But it tore up their swing set. Now, I'm using this as an illustration, but it could be something that you value. All right? What's more valuable to you as far as your possessions than a lost person? Because it says here, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I, lo- <laughs> I love me, amen? <laughs> how many of you, you, you just really love yourself? Now, how many of you are, just, yeah, come on. How many love comfort? You love comfort food. You love a comfortable home. You know, my wife bought this new thing. I, I, I'm not sure I should tell you this, but thank you. She bought this new toilet seat. And for a guy, it's one of those that you put it down, it just slowly goes down. I can't, every time I use it, I just love it. You know, because normally you used to have to go all the way down to the ground, you know, all the way down, you know, when you're done, all the way down every time. Now I just, I just kind of boop and walk away and it just goes, it's fantastic. How many agree with me? How many have one of those? Yeah, look at this. It, it, in the great, I'm not, I'm not lying. I mean, it's, and so I go, there's one of our bathrooms that don't have it, and I go, boom, bam, you know, it's like, wow, we got to get one of those there. I'm just saying, we love ourselves. We love to pamper. I mean, just to, 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 to really just do ourselves and make ourselves look good, and we love the comfort and everything. But then when it comes to this scripture about our neighbor, Should I go on any further? I don't, I don't need to say anything else, right? It says, love our neighbor as ourselves. Maybe I should buy my neighbor one of those toilet seats. We, we, I should go out of my way. Now, now, understand this word, love your neighbor. It means, it's agape love, okay? It, you say, well, I just don't love him. Agape love, that word agape is doing what's best for a person, your neighbor. So, it's a choice 
to do what's best for your neighbor. Well, what's best for your neighbor? What's the best thing you could do? What is the fant- what's the greatest thing you could do for your neighbor? Well, yeah, save their life. Yeah, that's just their physical life. Is there something more important than their physical life? Hello? Where they spend an eternity. So the greatest thing you could do, and it won't seem like that to them, is overlook all their stupidity because they're lost and they're governed by the world and which is governed by the devil and understand that, understand who they are and you put up with that because you're choosing to love them. You do whatever it needs. You become all things to all men so you might win some. So you, you put up with all that so that their hearts are ready and receptive for the gospel. There's a lot of people in my life right now. I'm just, I'm just waiting and I'm loving them, and I'm just waiting. There's three people on my list, and we're going to do this in just a few minutes. There's three people on my list. I, I, I asked the Lord for one. He gave me three. And so I'm pouring into them love, agape love, and I'm just waiting. Okay, so, so let's, let's all look up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about love just for a moment before, so that we understand when it says love your neighbor as yourself, that's pretty self-explanatory, but let's, let's just look into this a little bit. Let's just say you don't have love for your neighbor. You don't choose to do what's best for them. If you don't choose to do what's best for them. If I speak the languages of earth and of angels, okay, if I have this specific language that the angels speak, man, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? But I don't love others I would only be loud, noisy, clanging. Just this noise in the wind. Does everybody see that? I have no, if I don't have love, if I, if I don't love others. Let's go back. Let me finish that, verse 1. But didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a I like tingling symbol. Wish I had a symbol out here. After a while, it'd get annoying. All right, verse two. Okay, if I had the gift of prophecy, then that, of course, that's Paul. Paul wasn't the greatest preacher uh, by his own volition. He said that he would, he was in weakness and he wasn't speaking right. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I can move mountains and all kinds of miracles. Okay, so there's a lot of things there, but I didn't love others. And here it is. I am my life, my time, my efforts in gathering all of this world's good and all this world's powers and all this world's money and trying to be every... If I, I am, what's the word? Nothing. That's powerful. This isn't, this isn't Valentine's message, all right? Go verse 3. If I give everything to the poor and I sacrifice my body to be burned, all right, that I could boast about it, and if I don't love others, I've gained, then he goes in to gain nothing. Now, let's look, what, look, let's look what love means now. It shifts over to verse 4. Love is patient. That means you endure. You, are, you endure 
persecution. You endure hardness. You, you put up with a lot. All right? That's what. And kind. When somebody, when somebody just cuts you off on the road, it doesn't even phase me. I'm seriously, it doesn't even phase me. But some, sometimes my wife and I are driving the road and then somebody cuts her off. Holy moly. I mean, my flesh comes out of me. So, so love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. I mean, how many of us, are, when we talk, it's all about us. Love isn't that way. Love is about the person that annoys you. You put up with them. You go out of your way for them. All right, go to the next verse. Or rude, in other words, love's not rude. It does not demand its own way. <laughs> Don't you like this next one? Uh, it's not talking about marriage, though, all right? It's not irritable, and it keeps no records of being wronged. Love is constantly forgiving, constantly letting go of the hurts. And people will hurt you, but love says, hey, I forgive. I put it away. Verse 6. I said, it does not rejoice about injustice. Or, or here's the one. It does not rejoice when truth wins out. Now, that's different, isn't it? How many of you say, like, in your face, baby? How many are like me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In your face, Patriots fans. I mean, uh, I can't do that, can you? They can do it to me. All right. Okay. So, so next time somebody's team wins, and they go, we'll, put, we'll bring this verse up, okay? Amen. Next time Chiefs win the Super Bowl next year, all right? Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful. Endures through every... Love, now listen very carefully. Love believeth all things. Ooh, love believes all things, all right? It endures all things. It always believes the best about the person. Eesh. So in your mind, you're going through all these thoughts. Choose to love. Choose to believe the best in spite of their actions. All right? I, I, I just really wanted to zero in on that uh, commandment. So let's, let's go to the last one. We got a few minutes here. We got good, perfect, 10 minutes. This is where I want to camp. All right? Camp here. The last point is this. The ability. Why evangelize? The ability. Listen very carefully. We can. If I can evangelize, you can too. We can do it. We have every tool that we need to evangelize. So I want to go through those real quick. Okay? The tools. Number one, we have the Holy Spirit. In John 16, verses 8 through 11, the Bible specifically talks about, let's go to those verses, okay? And here it talks about that the Holy Spirit has come into the world to convince, it uses the word convict, but it means convince the world of their sin, of the righteousness of Christ, and there's a judgment coming. Okay, so the Holy Spirit comes and he works on the inside of the lost person. So, so when, those, when that individual is is coming up with every argument not to listen to you, on the inside, the Holy Spirit is working. Did you hear that? This is the Word of God. It's true. This is what happens. 
So the Holy Spirit, when you're going to talk to somebody, the Holy Spirit, like Paul the Apostle, and we talked about that a few, few weeks ago, when he's on the road to Damascus and he was getting those letters, his conscience was constantly hounding him that what Stephen said was true and all those people he put in jail and what they said were true and he was fighting this conscience. The Holy Spirit speaking, he was fighting it. And when Jesus talked to him, he revealed that to Paul. Why are you fighting? Just accept it. So he, he, he finally did. One of the greatest men of all time. So the Holy Spirit... And then we go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. So when we're talking to somebody, the Holy Spirit is on the inside working. Now, he, he, he hasn't sealed the person. The person's not saved. He's just convicting them. And then notice what it says here. But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So, so not only is the Holy Spirit working on the inside, this verse tells us as we are witnessing to them, the Holy Spirit is speaking to them through us. So see, why should we evangelize? Why do we even give a rip about where they spend eternity? Seriously, why, why, why do we care? Because God cares. Because if we are spiritually mature, we will choose them right alongside of us. And the Holy Spirit, when we begin to speak, He's speaking to them. We're not the ones that win these people to Christ anyway. We're just, we're just the voice. We're the annoying voice that's constantly speaking, hey, listen, what I have, I really want you to have. I, the one that saved me, I just want to introduce you to Him. Do whatever with Him you want to do. It's your call. But I just want to introduce Him to you. So the Holy Spirit, this this. Spirit of God, this sovereign God is working on the inside of them and working through us. So we have the Holy Spirit. Number two, we have the message. John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Everybody can say it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes, or the word believes means trust in him. Whoever trusts in what he did on the cross as their payment for sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work was done. Why? Because God did it. Now we look to the cross. And if we trust in what he did on the cross as our payment for sin, we will never, ever, ever perish. So it says, we'll never perish and we'll have eternal life. Based on what we did? No, based on what he did. We have eternal life. So we have, we have the Spirit. We have the message. And everyone here could, could recite John 3.16. And you can go back to the time when you prayed and trusted Christ your Savior. And then we also have the call. John 20, verse 21. Jesus told the disciples, he said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, what did the Father send Jesus to do? To seek and to save that which is lost. And then he's given all of us the ministry of reconciliation. All of us have that ministry. Every single person that's, been, that's, that's here today that's saved. So, now the majority of Christians are just going to go to church on Sunday morning. They're going to put their time in. They're going to put a few bucks in the offering plate. And they're going to go home and they're going to live life the American dream like they always do. Okay, 
But there's going to be a few of you that break out. To say, I understand this. I understand I have a new purpose. And that's to talk to my neighbor. To love them as myself. To share with them the great news so they don't, they don't burn in hell forever. So that their life is transformed and they have abundant life that he promised. And he said, I come to give them life. But not just life, but abundant life. And how that happens is by serving and loving others. That's where this life comes from. Forgetting yourself. When you serve yourself, it just, nothing satisfies. Can I hear an amen? Nothing. It's for a while. Those chips and cheese, man, it's so good, but look what happens. Amen? It satisfies here, but it don't satisfy here. Yeah. It doesn't. But when you serve God, and you serve others. That's where it comes from. Everybody's trying to find it, trying to find it, trying to find it, trying to find it. They're just going after it, going after it, going after it. It's right in front of them. Love the Lord and love others. And then, of course, we have each other. You have me prompting you and then prompting each other. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 says. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. How can I motivate you? How can you motivate me to do what? What we're talking about. How can I motivate you to talk to your neighbor? How can I motivate you to give them a track? How can I motivate you to come to a small group? How can I motivate you to bring somebody to a small group? That's what it's talking about. How can I motivate you to invite somebody to church? Okay, so he think of ways to motivate one another to, to, to acts of love and good works. Look at verse 25. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some do, but encouraging one another, especially now that we see the day approaching. The the Lord's coming soon. That's the idea. Jesus is going to appear through the sky. How many can't wait for that moment? how How many can't wait? Okay. Now, I'd rather be raptured this way before death. Amen. I don't mind going in the ground because I'm instantly with the Lord. But I'd rather experience this fantastic change right now. And then, boom. I mean, that's what the scripture talks about. Do we actually believe that's going to happen? Scripture says it is. It's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. That's pretty quick. I'm going to be changed in a new body, and I'm going to be in the clouds with the Lord. In the clouds. I still got to go to heaven. I got to go to where he's going to be. So instantly, I'm in the clouds in midair in this new body, and then we go on to be with with the Father's throne before the new heavens and the new earth. So I'm traveling without a plane. I'm traveling without a rocket. I've got this new body. Jesus did that in the New Testament. We see, I would love to... He says, he's coming soon. Now, since you know that's going to take place, be motivated to motivate other people, to encourage other people, to do what's right. What's right? Read my Bible every day? Amen. Pray every day? Amen. 
But what we're talking about, the context of a mature believer is loving the Lord and loving your neighbor, your family. Or what we do is we, it's the American way, we are loving our kids, our spouses, and if our uncles and aunts behave themselves, we love them too, amen? But if they don't, they don't treat us right, we're done with them. That's the American way. That's not the Bible way, but that's the American way. And so we do it, and then we tell everybody, and then we're justified. <laughs> you guys are acting like, hey, he's a nut. <laughs> All right, so, so we have each other, and then we have prayer. So I'm, I'm going to hit this after this video I'm going to play. A drive. Now, now, I know you're tired. I know you've been busy all week long. But I'm telling you, these next two minutes are more important than anything you've done all week. Focus. Pay attention to this video. Ask the Holy Spirit to wake you up spiritually. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> oh, me? Okay. All right. It's not loud. It's not, I mean, it is loud. It doesn't have all the fruity, fruity stuff of the world to just get us emotional, but it has the word. Lights down. Let's play this video. When we go back to the New Testament, we look at Jesus and the disciples. They gave their life for the gospel, and they turned the world upside down. We're enjoying the freedoms in America because of them. And today, we are living the American dream to build and build and build. And, and they're starving children all over the world that we should be investing in to try to, to, to help them to, to live till they're five, till they're ten. And then building a church there. So not only do they get fed physically, but they get fed spiritually. We're looking at that in the next couple of years. Our church getting involved in feeding people. Both ways. But it can't be done with just our pocketbooks. When we look around us and we see all these people, 17% are all just attending church in this area. And so there's 83% not going anywhere. I mean, there's so many that are not attending, they don't have this relationship. And what's it going to take from us to get our minds off of what we call the American dream? Praise God for America. Praise God for the American dream. But what about the lost dying? The Bible says hell hath enlarged itself. Why? Because we're so wrapped up in the toilet seat. We're so wrapped up in the comforts. Not thinking, not caring. So what we've done, look in your pew, there is this 30-day prayer journal, prayer guide. Everybody get this out for a moment. It's 30 days prayer guide. A year ago, January, we did a 30-day fasting as a church together, and man, God blew people's doors off. And I'm telling you, it was a God thing. No matter what heartache you went through, because all of us went through some heartaches as we went through this, but it was God revealing, blowing our lives up. Well, here we want the same thing. Listen, it's a prayer. Now, at the bottom of the right-hand corner, it says, who's your one? 
Who's your one? Who's the one that God lays on your heart to pray for every day that they would be saved? 30 days of constant praying for this one name to the throne. Instantly, God gave me one. Then I began to pray about it. He gave me another, and then he gave me another. And as I was up here telling you, he gave me another. I got to zero down to one, though. But I have four. So I'm going to do all four of them, but, but, but put one name in the book every day. So what it does, it gives you a scripture at the top, like day one. Go to day one. gives you the scripture. It says, Jesus told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Bottom line. So then you pray that, and you put that name, Lord, I, I understand that you're the only way. There's no other way to get to heaven. Father, I pray for so-and-so, John. Let's, I pray for John, that John would understand this truth. So you're actually praying this every, and then you go the next day, and there's another scripture, and you pray that scripture over this person's name. And I believe, and that's the next, last point, the next tool we have in our pocket is prayer. So let's, let's look at a couple of verses on prayer, okay? First of all, let's go to, well, we already went to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. I want to go to 2 John, or 1 John chapter 5, and begin with verse 14. Okay, so God's will is that people don't go to hell. That's God's will. Okay, notice what it says. And this is the confidence that we have, that he, he hears us whenever we ask for something that pleases him. King James says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when we ask whatever his will is, the Bible says he leans over and hears. Well, then first, Second Peter says, it's God's not willing that any should perish. So his will is for people to be saved. So we're praying in the vein of his will when we pray for this individual. So he hears us when we pray. Follow along. And since we know that he hears us, when we make our request, we also know that he will what? Give us what we ask for. And I have had example after example after example of people telling me that they fasted, they prayed, or so-and-so. I heard a preacher, one of, my, one of my favorite preachers of all time, say this, I don't think anybody gets saved without somebody praying for them. So we're praying to the Father to, to save this, soul, this individual, and the Holy Spirit is working on them, and then God give us boldness to approach them. And when the time's right, give me the boldness just to invite them to church. And as you're praying, God will give you that boldness. So I want to do this as a church. How many like this idea? Raise your hand. All right. How many are unsure? Okay. So pretty well all of us are excited about this, Right. How many, how many are willing to do this over the next 30 days? Raise your hand. Okay. So what I want to do this morning, I, it, it's still early. Can I hear an amen? It's still early. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. So what I want to do is I want us to turn around just right where we're at, and let's ask God to give us that one. Let him make the decision. Let him put someone on your heart. Or maybe as, as, as we were going through this, the Holy Spirit already put somebody on your heart. You didn't know this was coming up, but he already put somebody on your heart that you want to pray for, you want to talk to. I believe that God is leading us, each one of us, to pray for 30 days for that one. 
And I believe their lives will be transformed, not by us, but by our prayers. As we pray to Father, he says he's going to listen and he's going to answer. And he's going to move circumstances in their lives. And some bad circumstances, you hear me? Some bad. Like the people I've been working with, I believe something bad has to happen in their life in order for them to cry out to the Lord and start searching for Him and start seeking Him out. And guess who they're going to go to? Normally, unless they have some other godly people in their life, guess who they're going to go to? They're going to go to me. Because I'm the Christian in their life. Hopefully there's some others in their life. And we've got to be ready to give an answer to anyone that asks of the hope that's within us with meekness. So if you're going to do this with me, let us just cry out to the Lord. I'm going to lead you this morning. But I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to be down here at the altar. You can just turn around your seats. Let's all stand for a moment. Let's all stand. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. You can right there at your seat. If you want to, you can come down here with me. But that's up to you. And let's just ask. Then we'll close. I'll have Jason come up here and we'll close. But let's just spend a few, just a couple of minutes in prayer asking God for that one. All right? Let's do that together. Let's, let's do it together right now as, as, as a church, all right? Let's go ahead and get on your knees and pray right there for that one, all right? Or come down here at the altar, whatever God leads you to do, all right?